Thank you all for joining us for another Innovation Forum webinar. This is the second of our series in the State of Apparel webinars that my colleagues have been putting together um, ahead of our Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference series. Um, my name is Tanya Rishar. I have the pleasure of moderating the session today. Um, I lead up the research and stakeholder engagement arm at Innovation Forum. Uh, yeah, I mentioned the Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conferences. Um, we've been hosting very similar uh, conversations around this topic at our series, which Stephen and Anna Karen are, are really familiar with. And Inka will also be joining us at our event in, in April um, in Amsterdam. Um, so I hope some of the people joining us in the room will also be joining these lovely speakers there. Um, but for this conversation, uh, really just trying to focus on uh, recycle, recycle material, the circular economy, uh, trying to figure out how to make all these topics fit into one hour <laughs> um, is a little struggle, but that's on me. So just trying to see what we can talk about. So for the next hours, just trying to see um, different topic areas like the barriers and challenges in using um, recycled materials for apparel and how can the role of brands in overcoming these challenges and how we can work together to overcome them. Uh, the role of business in helping to build and scale textile recycling uh, infrastructure. So also the role within um, legislation and all of those dynamics. Um, how brands can work with consumers in circular fashion, always a big topic. And then maybe also I'd love to get to the role of certification or standardization and tools and models for measuring and, and demonstrating the impact um, of using recycled fabrics. Um, so for today, it is my pleasure to be joined by four great speakers. Um, we have Ninka Stein, from, who's the Global Lead Apparel, Textiles and Footwear at Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Suite. We've got Anna Karen Dahlberg, who's the Director of Sustainability at Lindex, and Stephen Bethel, founder at Bank and Vogue. And I was just going to say, wear so many other hats, and I promise that was not on purpose, but the pun just wrote itself. Um, <laughs> That was too much. Um, but yeah, so for, for the next hour, we're going to be talking about all of those dynamics. But um, I have tons of questions to ask the audience, ask the speakers. But really, um, the idea with, you know, almost 200 of you in the room, we want this session to be as interactive as possible. If you haven't been to an innovation forum conference or webinar before, it's really about bringing your questions in and everyone who um, is joining us from wherever in the world. I'm sure you have better questions than I can come up with. So um, please be sure to ask your questions using the Q&A function and uh, ask them throughout. Uh, and then my job is just to sort of multitask and look at the Q&A and, and weave those in as and when. So. Um, also, what would be helpful is if you could direct your question to a panelist, if possible, um, just helps in making sure that we're getting to everything, um, as, to as many questions as possible. Um, yeah, so it's just using the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen, which I'm sure most people are, are familiar with. Um, all right, so I thought I would start off with just pointing towards Anna Karen. And if you could briefly introduce yourself, your role at, at Lindex, um, and paint us a bit of a picture of what does circularity look like at the company at the moment. Over to you. Sure, I'll be happy to. And thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so looking forward to this hour conversation. And uh, so I'm the Director of Sustainability at Lindex. Um, just briefly about my background, I've been here for a really long time in the company and my background is from buying design assortment and production. So I've spent quite a few years in our production countries, <clears throat> China, India, Bangladesh and Hong Kong. 
Uh, I worked with sustainability in the last eight years. And just one year ago, I took a seat in, in the group management uh, group at Lindex. So we are really integrating uh, circular transformation, sustainability into the business plan and uh, business strategy. So that's really great. Um, and circularity at Lindex, I mean, we, we really think about that holistically and uh, particularly three parts. So we talk about circular supply chain, circular uh, products and circular customer journeys and the ecosystem between these three. And they also they really sort of hang together and are in the loop. But we need to work with all three of them to create this uh, holistic transformation, so to speak. Um, and when circular supply chain, then is about you know um, like a, a clean production supply chain with uh, free of hazardous chemicals, and that is um, you know. Um, has a low climate impact and, and also that recycles water and so on, uh, resource efficient. Um, circular products are products that are made from circular materials, but also are recyclable and are designed for longevity and circularity. And then circular customer journey is more about, you know, uh, customer engagement and um, um, circular business models. So in 2022, we take, took some major steps in implementing circular design principles for our garments uh, to enable them to be re-commerced and to fit a circular fashion system. Um, we also scaled our second hand um, with, uh, so now we do second hand in seven stores. It's, it might not sound a lot, but it, it, it's a journey, right? And it, it takes uh, quite a lot of work to get there, uh, but it's been really well received from our customers. Uh, and we also entered a new partnership with um, <clears throat> a forest company called Södra here in Sweden. We found a process for um, separating and recycling uh, fibers. Um, so we booked 250 tons of their once more um, uh, dissolvent uh, mass, which is now being transformed into a million garments. So these are a few examples of what we are doing now within circularity. Great. Thank you, Anna-Karen. I mean, you've painted the this next hour perfectly. There's so many topics that I would love to come back to. Um, but maybe just to, because we like to keep it practical here at Innovation Forum, um, I'd love to start maybe more negatively. What challenges have you faced and maybe more positively? Um, how are you planning on, you know, overcoming them? What sort of, you know, your work with Soja, for example, um, how are you planning on scaling um, these initiatives? Right. I mean, I think, you know, looking at all these uh, three pieces of circularity, there are a few, I mean, challenges, but only learnings. It's it's a journey, right? So I think it's, um, it's interesting and it's humbling to understand that, you know, we have this linear fashion business model that we've been working with for 65 years, and we are super great at what we do. And we've been really fine-tuning this model for 65 years now. And it's, um, you know, just transformed forming in circularities and it's it's a completely new way of thinking and and you know we need to sort of break down some of our uh, you know well working systems <clears throat> in a way it's about um, skills trainings in the company new way of designing garments um, there's there's just a lot to it um, and you can imagine like working with, with re-commerce is totally different flow of goods, right? And it's a, it's a new way of procuring back old garments from your consumers, sorting them and then sending them back out to the stores and so on. Um, and when it comes to recycled fibers, um, 
I mean, there, there's an easy way of doing it. You can place an order with your garment supplier and ask for recycled fiber with a GRS certificate. That's, that's pretty easy. Then the challenge is more about availability and, you know, getting exactly the, the, the lace that we want to get. But in recycle, then it's, it's a lot about, you know, what, what price you want to pay and so on. Um, but when we talk about entering new partnerships with like the one we did with with Södra, that's that's a different ball game altogether because it's about really about engaging with a um, raw material supplier at, at the back of your supply chain and push that material up your supply chain. Uh, it requires different knowledge, different skill sets. It's a new way of working. Um, and it's, it's about, you know, understanding your supply chain and really digging deep into it. But it brings a lot of positive stuff as well. It, it's hard work, but, you know, we get to know our supply chain. Um, we understand it. We build transparency. We can do our due diligence in, an, in a different way. So, I mean, there are challenges, but you can also think of it as, you know, learnings uh, in order to scale things and, and um it, again, it's it's a journey, right? It's about doing things in a completely different way. Um, but I think scaling initiatives like this with <clears throat> with a new partnership, a new uh, raw material supplier, it will really be uh, dependent on efficient uh, collection and sorting schemes uh, that we are depending on um, in in an extended producer responsibility. Um, but also a lot of investments are needed in, in uh, the infrastructure for recycling, uh, apparently, in, in order to scale this. So I think brand's role in this is really to take on the challenge of partnering up with the actors and, and dig in there. Because um, if we don't ask for it, then nobody will want to get into the game, right, to, to take the risk. Great. Thank you. Um... I just there was a question by Bruno in the in the Q and A, so I thought it might be worth just quickly clarifying it now. Um, he is asking when you mentioned circular products, and I know you you spoke about bringing the the materials back from consumers, but what does your feedstock look like? Are they made? Are, they, are your circular products made from collected waste um, pre post consumer? <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, this um, the the when we talk about circular materials, the the one that we did together with Söd, right? It's about them bringing back um, post-consumer textiles. Uh, mainly, it's about it, it, it's both garments, but it's also like um, sheets from hotels, <laughs> and you know, it's it's post-consumer, anyways. Um, and it's about uh, high content of cotton. This one. Um, particularly perfect thank you thanks for the other questions coming through yes the webinar will be recorded um, and shared afterwards just as a quick note um, but yeah so many quite follow-up questions to ask you Anna Karen but I want to turn to Stephen first now um, also briefly introduce yourself your role at Bank and Vogue what you do um, and then maybe reflect on Anna Karen's points on the challenges that she's seen and if you've seen the same or if you want to add anything on on that uh, so far uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, and uh, thanks for inviting me to the Innovation Forum conversations. I, it's like a highlight of my year of year to participate in them. So I, I love these. Um, you know, so my brief introduction, I'm uh, the co-founder of Bank of Vogue, which is a family of companies. There's sort of four areas that we operate in. Uh, we are buyers and sellers of secondhand clothes from uh, charities and private collectors across uh, North America and Europe. 
Um, so that, so basically we, you know, we were picking up the beer cups at the end of the, at the end of the fashion party, basically. Uh, and we're doing that at scale. We're uh, buying and selling about 3 million garments a week of secondhand clothes. Uh, but secondly, we have a, a chain of stores um, in uh, the UK, Sweden, and Finland. We just opened last year in Finland, uh, which trade under Beyond Retro, uh, where we celebrate uh, secondhand clothes and, and um, really sort of replicate the, uh, the trends of the day through used. Uh, thirdly, though, is we have an upcycling factory. I think it's the um, one very un-Canadian to do this, but I'm going to do this. Hubris to say, I think we have the largest upcycling factory in the world where we cut up old clothes and we make new things out of them or we make components for new items. And uh, one product that we're really proud of is our partnership with Converse. So we're making the, uh, we're cutting the upper for the Chuck Taylor shoe from post-consumer material. Um, and then finally, uh, we operate in the space of supplying uh, the fiber to fiber recyclers. So if we can't resell it, they can't be reused. Um, and how can we actually make it a feedstock to somebody like um, the guys down the street from Anacara's uh, people for, to a Renew Cell? So I'm really proud of the work that we've done for many years with Renew Cell. I think maybe four years ago, we sat with the Innovation Forum and talked about Renew Cell coming. And it's just so nice to see um, that they're at scale and, and we've been part of that journey and, and incredibly proud of that as a, as a step towards circularity at, at, at scale. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. I remember, I think that was what we were just talking about 2019. Um, I remember I was up there with you um, monitoring that session as well. So really great to see that that continues. Um, Maybe just, uh, you mentioned the Converse um, partnership briefly, but I'm sure that the audience would love to learn a bit more, like maybe also bringing in their perspective, like what was it, what was the imp impetus for them wanting um, to focus on this? Um, what has worked well in working with a company like Converse and what is there plans to scale? Yeah, so, so uh, I got to speak to my, my part of the partnership. We can't speak to their headspace. <laughs> Just to sort of stick to my lane, of, uh, which I'm usually really bad at doing. But um, I think that uh, what's been a real joy for us uh, as a company, we spent 25 years celebrating uh, our love of secondhand, our love of the value of existing materials. And I think there is a real common conversation uh, which is, okay, if you can't resell it, let's automatically turn it into fiber to fiber. And I think the partnership with Converse demonstrates that there's actually a wedge in between. And it's actually a lot better for, um, you know, the, the, the key markers, carbon, water, uh, you know, why are we going to shred something down and then make it into a new fiber when there was already an existing material and we can convert it into something else? Um, but I, I really liked Anna Kara's uh, comment that, you know, they've done something for 65 years and, you know, you're going to sit and, and work with their supply chain um, to, 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 to break it. You know, Converse has made this shoe for 100 years to interrupt how they're doing at it. Um, I, you know, I give I give that team like a total amount of respect that they understood the value of what they were doing and why they were doing. Um, and and, and had the patience to work through um, the, 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 the real challenges that you can only imagine being a supplier to uh, Converse or a Nike is, is not insurmountable. 
Um, but I think that there, it just demonstrates that I think this space of circularity will breed out new industries and new, um, new projects at scale. And, and it, you know, was, we've been working with Converse uh, since the last four years. I think we've done, this is our 11th drop that's coming, that has just come out. There's a corduroy shoe uh, that's just come out uh, that's in stores now. Um, and I think they are, they, you know, you mentioned the word scale. Uh, they are at scale. We are doing this at scale with them. So it, I think that they, that our partnership is, it should really be a guiding light to other brands that this is truly possible and we can make an engaging product uh, and product and maybe, maybe a, a quicker path to circularity than waiting for technology to catch up on the fiber to fiber side. I, I, I do want to, I do want to throw out something to a challenge just to be a little bit of an antagonist. Um, as brands sort of wake up to the fact that, um, look, you know, they need, they have a, a responsibility to participate in the circular economy. I do want to throw out the challenge that there is an existing system, an, an existing ecosystem of charities that really rely on those donations of used clothes. And uh, so just here's my antagonistic statement. I'm really proud. Uh, last week I had a meeting with the, um, the Salvation Army of Canada. It's been 25 years as a company. We've worked with the Salvation Army. And I'm really proud that, you know, all of the material that, that they've collected, we bought from them that they couldn't resell. Uh, that money goes into really uh, social needs within a community. You know, that the, they feed people at two o'clock on a Saturday morning, uh, sandwiches and coffee. And I want to caution brands that they shouldn't be hubris and erase the ecosystems that are there. How could they actually support those ecosystems, um, you know, or support them, or be a part of it? And and I'm I'm a I'm being gentle, but the the, the there is a recognition of a real opportunity to support those ecosystems that exist and maybe need help uh, around it. But um, sorry, I I felt like I'm really proud of 25 years of supporting charities throughout Europe and throughout North America who have done the hard work for many, many years, collecting clothes, sorting them, grading them, and being the start of this incredibly beautiful ecosystem. Uh, I just don't, I want to make sure we don't throw at that bathwater. No, great. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. I mean, there's a quick question. You mentioned Salvation Army, but there's a quick question about whether you work with Goodwill as well. Um, if you want to answer that now, or there was a, a gentleman that wished to collaborate maybe further yeah absolutely yeah so, yeah we absolutely work with goodwills when we work with goodwills across the united states it's a decentralized system so there are, are, are a myriad of uh, i don't know i think there's 100 and some odd goodwills across them but we we absolutely have great relationships for many many years have been a a, a gold sponsor to their annual conference um and they're another good example of Used clothes isn't just an input to new manufacturing. Used clothes is a vehicle to retrain people, to give people uh, a chance when they come out of prison. Used clothes has a real opportunity. I, I mean, obviously, I'm giddy about what used clothes can be, but there is a real, um, there is a real value within our societies of, of where that material sits, whether it's an Oxfam or a Salvation Army or a Goodwill or St. Vincent de Paul. So anyhow, I, I'm, I'm carrying that flag. <laughs> I'll stop. Great. Well, I have one more question for you, Stephen. Don't stop just yet. But there, um, there was a question from the audience on um, 
you said that you operate in, in Canada and, and UK and uh, maybe I missed a few others, but um, how do you see these approaches maybe working um, in developing markets? And if you have any insights on that as a, as a whole and what would need to be adjusted if so? Yeah, it's a, so our, our uh, upcycling factory is in India and we've been uh, working hand in hand with the Indian government uh, as they work their way through um, you know, what is the path to circularity? India takes in about eight and a half percent of the world's post-consumer waste. North to the north, um, Pakistan does the about the same. I think one of the big challenges um, generally is we need to rebrand post-consumer textiles. There is a real fear that this is a waste and not a commodity, not an asset value. But if we're going to create a truly circular economy in textiles, then those, those spent garments need to be able to flow where garments or where material or where fabric is made. And so one of the real legislative challenges we have is somewhere like Bangladesh bans the import of uh, used clothes. So how do, you, um, how do you actually do that hard work of creating a circular economy of post-consumer, which um, it was another sort of uh, a soapbox that I stand on. There is real value in obviously picking up the factory cuttings and turning them into a new, uh, a new fabric. But the what I believe is the harder work and the important work, because I'm going to drink my own Kool-Aid, is how do we work on that hard work of post-consumer textiles, which is a lot harder than pre-consumer. It's the unscrambling of the egg. You've got to handle it more. One of our big concerns is that people write down or brands will write, this is recycled material. But what they've really done is just vacuumed up the material off the shop floor and put it into their, their, um, into their mix. I mean, you know, recycled pet is super cheap, but to collect used clothes and sort out the polyester and then make that into a new element is obviously a, a lot more heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. So there, there you go. <laughs> great, thank you. A lot of great questions coming through. I'm trying to multitask and look at them, but I do want to turn to Ninka first. Um, also, just to briefly introduce yourself, um, your role at Cradle to Cradle, the role of Cradle to Cradle in the wider space. Um, just keen to hear your thoughts so far and on anything you've also heard so far. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Um, really glad to be here. Um, I work for the Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute. And um, I'm the global lead for textiles, apparel, and footwear. And what we do is that we certify uh, circular products. Um, and I think for textile people, it's really interesting to know we're the, we're the only organization that certifies product circularity. And um, it's really interesting to know as well that we not only focus on product circularity, but also on supply chain topics like water emissions, energy use, labor conditions. Uh, but our primary um, impact uh, category is material health. So we find it very important that all the materials and chemicals that are used in our programs are uh, non-toxic and really um, well assessed before they enter uh, our products. So um, maybe in that context, it's really interesting also to think about what Stephen just told, like how can we use our post-consumer fabrics um, when we don't know what's in it, for example. So, so that's a really interesting um, thought that maybe will come back later on. 
Um, yeah, so, so we have the certification program. We work with many specialized assessors around the world. It's a global standard. It's cross-sectoral, so we can also learn from other sectors. Um, that's also really interesting. Um, and um, we also build a community, do a lot in stakeholder engagement. So we really try to scale circularity at a whole um, and work with partners like also uh, Stephen and all the, the names mentioned. Um, to close the loop, we need so many other value chain partners than, than our suppliers, because as fashion people, we tend to think about our value chain being our suppliers only, but now we really have to build all the connections with all the, with the consumer first to, and the retailer to tell the story right and where to bring the garment when, when you think it's end of life. Um, and then all the, all the partners behind it, it's such a world to, to discover uh, for us still. Um, so, um, yeah, so what, what I do, I try to manage our, our textile, um, accounts, help them whenever I can, but I'm also trying, of course, to, to, um, to close the gap with, with finding new solution providers also to, um, to, to reach out to all the important stakeholders that drive sustainability and innovation and, uh, but also social fairness, for example. Great. Thank you, Ninka. And. Um, I'd love for you to maybe bring in the topic of PET to um, fiber, fiber to fiber recycling. Um, obviously, a lot of what we see on websites when it says recycled cotton of polyester, it obviously often is PET. So I'd love to hear maybe from you and I'm sure the audience just to hear a bit on what are the issues here um, and what should brands really be focusing on at this point? Yeah. So uh, Anna Karen also said like PET is, is like the most common recycled fiber now in fashion because it's cheap, it's available, um, it's, it's durable. So it has in that sense, some, it ticks some boxes, but, uh, and it's mainly a GRS certified. So that means it's also a credible organization behind it that certifies that it's, it's uh, recycled. Um, but in the end, we, we try to work with post-consumer materials or, or at least uh, cuttings or clippings from production. Um, and that's where, where, um, where it's getting more difficult. And, uh, because well, yeah, what I said, um, there are a lot of challenges in, in knowing what kind of uh, chemicals or materials are in, in the um, post-consumer waste products. So if we, if we work with them through a mechanical process, for example, we still don't know what's in all the batches that come out of it. Um, so it's hard to control and chemical processes, it, it's easier to control. So it's really interesting also to, uh, to look at uh, the chemical processes because it sounds bad, but it's not always bad in terms of impact. Um, people are, when they hear chemical, they think, oh my goodness, that's bad. But it's not always, uh, if you look in terms of impact, it's not always bad. And especially not if, if it's in a co controlled environment. So, um, for example, in our program, we have Aquafil uh, with um, uh, recycled, post-consumer recycled uh, polyamide. Uh, and there are also many developments in bio-based. So, uh, then it, it, uh, it's a renewable, regenerative uh, raw material. Um, and these materials are also really interesting to look at and um, to durability also. And what Stephen said, if we already have a great fabric, why reduce it and put it in a mechanical or chemical recycling process if we can be creative and make new products of it? Um, so also in our program, you see a lot of um, companies that work with the different R strategies. So reuse at, with the same user or with other uses in e-commerce or re-commerce models. 
Um, but you also see repair services popping up or creative ideas for consumers. Like, oh, if you don't want to wear your jeans anymore like it is, maybe you can uh, uh, um, fold it or you can uh, put a badge on it or and, and maybe you love it again. Um, so these kind of things are also rewarded in, in our program. Um, but in the end, you always have to choose for the technical or the biological cycle, which means in the end, you have to think about what will happen if it's really, really end of life, it has holes in it or, or it's really dirty or whatever, then, then you, you might think about um, uh, mechanical or technical um, recycling or upcycling fiber to fiber. That's what you wanted to know. And then it's important for designers to understand what criteria requirements do I have to follow to put it in a certain process? Because we have now many innovations popping up that could recycle polyester cotton blends even, or but are mainly um, uh, dedicated to a mono material, like 100% cotton or 100% polyester or 100% polyamide. And that makes it difficult for our fashion people to restrict designers to, to mono materials only or to make everything detachable because that's also conflicting with durability sometimes. So a lot of challenges um, still, but very, I'm very hopeful because we have this, this policies drop, popping up everywhere where we will have even better systems for upcycling. There will be more budgets to invest in innovation. Um, there will be big budgets because every company needs to pay in, um, uh, in European countries, like the levies that, that companies need to pay. And from that budget, there is budget to to innovate and to, to see how we can scale it for companies because it's now so expensive to use the, the fiber to fiber technologies. Um, yeah, so maybe I can keep it there because I can talk for, for hours about it. <laughs> that's why you're here, Ninka, no problem. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's maybe the perfect, instead of me asking, maybe just turning to Anna Karen, do you have any insights on how does the design team incorporate these? I think maybe in, in two sides of the question sort of, how do you work with the design team on incorporating? What is their sort of um, feedback on it and how do they like incorporating it? And then also, have you seen any sort of, or how do you grapple with the point of the um, different qualities, um, the quality, the output quality, um, that it still meets that uh, customer demand and customer satisfaction? Um, or is that even an issue with the current state of innovation? Sort of two questions for you, Anna Karen. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, we, we come from one place where, where we have, uh, I mean, we've talked about designing for circularity for years, right? But, uh, uh, and, and what, what Ninke says about monomaterials and, you know, detachable things. And, um, uh, but, you know, we've, we've always said that, you know, we can do that, but then there is no infrastructure in, in society to really take care of, of this. I think that is, that is probably... Uh, happening now and we will see more scaling of that and we will see more actors in supply chain who are able to take care of garments that are designed for recyclability but I think there is big big work to do uh, for us to really understand uh, and we are now engaged with the research uh, um, inst uh, institute uh, here in Sweden on standardization or understanding you know what 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 does it take for a garment or for a material to be to become recyclable. And um, we are also piloting with some uh, other recyclers also to understand, you know, what does it take and, and how can we apply that into our design? So I think there's still a lot of knowledge to be gained here uh, before we can actually go 
And I mean, we need to instruct our designers very clearly, you know, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. Um, and for that to happen, we need some clear uh, instructions and some, some new knowledge, I think. But I also think that we as fashion people need to be open and also understand that maybe things are not going to look exactly as they used to. Maybe we need to rethink materials. Maybe we need to rethink hand feels and engage with customers on that because recycled materials might, we might need to compromise a little bit on, you know, certain hand feels or certain things that, that, that are uh, like leave our comfort zone in a way. And um, one example of that is that, so now when we uh, have this partnership with uh, Södra, who are, and I want to clarify that, they are taking recycled cotton uh, and also mixing it with uh, uh, virgin forest fibers. So uh, a cotton item will now be a viscose item, right? Uh, and if you want to replace that, if you have a, a baby body that is 100% cotton, and maybe now you want to you know, replace it with, with some uh, of that recycled cotton is going to get a different hand feel, right? So I think that is also, we need to sort of not be stuck in our own uh, old perceptions of this is the way a baby body should feel like, or uh, we need to rethink that uh, going forward, I think, all of us. And it's about uh, consumer engagement as well. We need, our consumers need to be get used to things not being exactly as they were if we're going to um, be working more with recycled materials I think yeah no I think I mean the whole consumer dynamic I I, I really want to still get to um, but I wonder Stephen I mean you're in this area um, I wonder if you had anything to add to what Anna Karen said in terms of the innovations in fiber to fiber um, the feel of it there's also a question from Martin on whether your the your material constitutes 100% recycled material or you also blend in virgin material into it um, to get your thoughts yeah so you know it's funny um at least our work with brands on the component work that we're doing our my experience when i sit in these boardrooms is the designers are not the gated item the designers are they there's no designer that wants to burn up the planet they i think the designers see uh, and embrace the challenge of mono materials i think within these large uh brands the gated item is the merchandisers. Uh, the gated item is the person that controls the, the purse strings. So is it cheaper to be able to, to build it out of this material or is it cheaper to build it out of that material? And where does the company place its resources in terms of um, the depth of, of um, the buy? So I don't know, it's funny, I, at least with my experience, with, with Bank of Vogue's experience, uh, on the upcycling and the component manufacturing, uh, the designers are actually uh, embracing difference. They're embracing using existing materials. They're loving this. The, 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 the friction within that boardroom is the merchandisers. And so that's a big leap for a brand to say, hey, well, if we take this path, it's you know, X price. But if we take this, price, this path, it's, it's maybe you know, 3% more or 2% more. Um, and in terms of, um, I really liked what Anna Kara said about the idea that maybe what we have to do is get the consumer to think that, you know, 
one of the problems with mass production is, is we, we refer to it as the French fry problem. If you go to a McDonald's in Paris or a McDonald's in New York or a McDonald's in Ottawa, Canada, God help you, come in July, don't come in the winter, um, is that the French fries are always the exact same. But if a consumer walks into a McDonald's and, and each one of the McDonald's has different French fries, the consumer is like freaks out. And so one of the, the journeys that we certainly need to go on is as, as we look at how do we remanufacture with existing materials, what effect or how do we present that to the consumer as in a jiu-jitsu way, not as a negative, but as a real positive and use that positive energy to, to tell the story. And I, the interesting thing is that even uh, in, a, in our Beyond Retro setting, where we have our upcycled offering, um, you, know, you know, as I speak to our own store managers about, hey, you know, we have this corset and it's an upcycled leather corset. We, by the way, we have a beautiful leather corset right now that I'm overly exuberant about in Beyond Retro. And, um, but it's, you're also empathetic to that store manager or to your merchandiser that they've got so many other stories to tell. And how do you, how do you, you know, how do you, you, you tell the, this is a better material story than, and that's, that's, that's really complicated and, and, a, and a big ask at least. And I find it like, I'm the most exuberant person in, in around our boardroom table. And, um, and, and but yet the, our, uh, our, uh, our team, our press team, our, 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 our comms team is like, Steve, we've got 30 other things, you know, two days ago, we had a big thing on mending in our store and, you know, and you want, so I, I think it, it's a real, it's a real difficulty. Of course, we're in circularity. We're think this is the most important thing, but there's, there's a lot of stories that brands are trying to tell and a lot of narratives that they're trying to tell. And it, I'm quite empathetic to that as well. Um, I mean, it would be great to hear how, how do you work with Converse on creating that story, for example, if we take the Converse example, or what have you seen? How, how do they communicate with, with consumers on this? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be polite and stick to my lane <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'll let Converse answer how they, how they tell the story. But I think the fact, uh, you know, from our perspective that they partnered with us, they found, you know, a leader in the, in the vintage space, and they and and we're standing side by side. That in of itself is like an amazing act. Um, I think that there's there's the real there's the real interesting thing, right? This is the innovation forum. Real innovation, I think, comes from uh, and Anna Kara sort of spoke to this. Real innovation comes from stop stop necessarily talking to the existing ecosystem that you already deal with. And actually walk to the next village. I think it was Plato who said this. Walk to the next village, learn from that village, and then bring knowledge back. I think real innovation comes from working with somebody in a completely different sphere than we've made the same product the same way for 65 years. But if you all of a sudden bring somebody in around the table that is in a different universe coming at the, the, the clothing, the design process from a post-consumer perspective, I think that what's really cool is disruption comes from new kinds of voices around the table. And I think that, that, uh, that uh, our partnership with Converse is exactly that. We're, we're a different duck that sat around their table for the, you know, from the last hundred years. And I, I think that would be a real challenge for people on the phone 
is how do you have the courage to, to begin conversations that might be really awkward or, you know, it, it, uh, and the way in which uh, a, another business operates might seem so foreign to the way, as Anna Kara said, they've been making something for 65 years. But I think that's how innovation happens. Thank you. Yeah, I think I was going to turn to you. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah. go ahead. Because I find it super interesting because that's also the cross-sectoral space where I find, I think we can find so many interesting solutions. For example, in the gaming world, they know so much about how we can really show digitally how how garments move or something, or uh, that there's a young group of people that even want to buy digital fabrics from us. And so it's such a different world where we will live in in the the next 10 years or 20 years. Um, So that was the thing. Um, But the other thing around the commercial model, um, the nice, when I started 20 years ago as a sustainability manager at a fashion company, it was all about, oh, Ninka comes in and the price raises already when she steps in the room because I was only talking about, yeah, we need to have organic cotton. So yeah, the price is going up. And yeah, then the purchaser said to me, oh, we just do a few items, not too much, otherwise we will lose customers. Um, but now with this circularity um, in mind, you, companies can really take uh, go to kind of take an, another approach and a next level vision, I think, on, on commercial business models. And to me, it's also that from one garment, you can you can create many business models around one garment because it's not only about selling them and then done. It's also about maybe offering repair services with work with partners or offering yourself offering secondhand sale it's about the same garment and there are already three business models now and then you can think about working with, with partners like Stephen, create maybe recreate garments from it and then in the end there are, so i think that's the only uh, i i i didn't even had a big brainstorm about it, but if i if i put some creative people together and commercial people i think we can come to to maybe 10 different business models around one product and that makes it also so super interesting um, to, to really integrate it and talk about it with many different um, people with different skills. So it's not only about sustainability manager that raises money in the company. It's about uh, rethinking the whole business model around every product and, and to look at different partners than we just had because our customer was our like, number one stakeholder. It was just selling to customers as much as we could. Um, and now it's more like, hmm, maybe I can, can, can add value to my product and work with different partners that maybe can deliver more value to me and my customer than I, I gave in the, in the past. So um, that, that's really interesting. And also yesterday I learned I was at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation session and they were talking about a different, a, a different tax system that could come up that we would put tax on materials instead of labor. And that would also create a very interesting financial incentive to, uh, um, to be very critical about, about resources, what nature gives us. Um, and and um, also the, all the, the eco-design directive and, and um, the EPR and oh, the green claim uh, um, regulation just, just uh, confirmed that it's really, it, w- it will go on. Um, it will all drive us so not only with economic incentives, but also with legal incentives to to think about these business models. So I think there's no way back, and and it's a positive positive way forward because we can be creative again, and that feels gives me at least so much freedom instead of creating rules only. 
Great. No, thank you. I mean, in terms of the bringing different people to the table, uh, completely in agreement. And this is hopefully what we want from these sort of discussions for it to be one platform discussion, but everyone's, you know, there's tons of people writing in the chat that are doing interesting things for, for the conversation to continue afterwards as well. Um, uh, you, I mean, you mentioned the upcoming legislation on green claims. I mean, I can just imagine what's what's happening in in brand offices and you know being wary of how they're communicating anything at the moment. Um, so I wonder, Anna Karen, your input on and for one, how is this changing the way you're communicating with consumers on this topic, um, and also how are you currently communicating with consumers and and what do you see resonates quite well with them um, on this topic? Um, yeah, I mean. <clears throat> One thing that the Green Claims uh, Directive is, is doing, I just, you know, I just read super briefly, but we have been following the debate, obviously, is to uh, get rid of uh, like own sustainability claims or brands own sustainability claims. Now we we ripped our labels uh, many years ago so uh, we have been you know because we we knew it was coming and we wanted to find a different way of engaging with our consumers but i think i think the most crucial thing to understand is about communication can only be done when you actually have uh, you need to build your proofs first so it's more important to actually show your consumers that you have a second hand business or that you know now you can uh, we will buy back your old garments and we will sell them again or uh, you know we can engage with consumers when they check out in e-commerce that they can select like uh, a, a more climate friendly freight option or whatever i think the proofs and you know what you actually do is much more powerful than you know labels or text towards uh, uh, consumers um, so I, I find this to be very positive because obviously in my role, I'm not a fan of greenwashing. <laughs> and I think that, I mean, we all need to transform this industry. We, we know this, right? It's about future-proofing the business. And I so agree with uh, Nienke on, you know, how we can get creative, how we can earn money in completely new ways, how we can appreciate our natural resources in a, in a much better way. We know that we stand in, in front of a, a, a huge transformation, the whole industry, right? So um, engaging with consumers is, is about what you do, I think. I mean, what, what you offer. Uh, the labels are one thing and, and, you know, the text communication is one thing, but it's so much more about the feeling you get when you walk into a Lindex store or what meets you in the website or... Uh, it's about the offer. You know, if, if I'm offered to buy uh, stuff secondhand, that's so much more powerful than any labels <laughs> or any communication. Great, thank you. Um, I wonder if maybe now's a good time to turn to, um, well, the role of standardization and certification, obviously, you've alluded to that already, but um, as it stands, there's currently no full um, standard for recycled content, which just makes it difficult to communicate to consumers and validate what's in the product. Um, and I, I wonder if I could turn to you, maybe Nink, at this point, um, what do you see as the opportunity for a standardized approach um, to validating this content? Um, and there was also a question from the audience, just as a follow-up on, on that, was um, the mention of, you know, a lot of times the certification can come at a high price and whether um, the industry is maybe working together to make that a bit more viable. Yeah. Uh, so your first question about 
the uptake of recycled content is just such a small part part of the whole story of circularity, having the circular economy in place. It's just a small beginning. Like if, if you look, for example, at our standard, it's one third of our product circularity category talking about the uptake of renewable or recyclable materials. And that one third of one category, and we have five categories in place. So the, um, that's all, there's also a reason why it's quite expensive, especially at our certification, because um, there will, will be a specialized team deep taking a deep dive in all the important subjects about designing and producing the product and, and taking it back. Um, that it, that it's a lot of work to gather all the data. And with data, um, I, I bring in the next subject, it's, it will be really important to be transparent to validate any green claim. So it's not only about um, saying that you have um, biodegradable or recyclable or whatever fabrics, um, or organic, of course, very popular. Um, I, I think we need to build trust again with consumers. And, and therefore, I like the approach of, of um, Anna Karin that um, yeah, you, you really have to have the right facts in place before you communicate. And you need third-party validation. Also, if you look at um, the new uh, green claim regulation, you need third-party validation of experts view on it and a validation um, of your green claim before you could release it. So there were like, my colleagues just told me like 250 different um, standards and certifications out there all saying something about a sustainable product or material or something. The consumer gets totally lost. So we, we need to work with, with more, I think, holistic standards and certification with real experts on board that really measure the impact the best would be, in my opinion, to measure real data of what is really related to the product or product group. Um, because I think we depend sometimes too much on LCA data, general data from in, from um, uh, how do you say, eco, in, in, eco invent or something like big databases of averages of, okay, what's the average impact of making cotton or average impact of uh, suing a garment. Um, but but it's really interesting to gather real data, and that's also why we produce a product circularity data passport with every product group, which is publicly available, so everybody can see uh, what materials are in the in the product, what how was the chemical assessment done, what were the results, uh, is the product made for reuse, repair, recycle, um, uh, whatever circular strategy. So I think that's what we need um, to inform consumers, but also the, the sorters or the ones who take back or uh, people like Steven that knows, oh, that's interesting. Now I know much more about this product. He can even tell the story to others about the whole roadmap of the, of, of the products. Um, and, and, and maybe a small thing to say. So I think this, this will be the future. And also, if you look at the sales now of secondhand, it's so popular that I, I forgot to say that. If I look at also all my colleagues, they're all, the young, young ones especially, they all wear secondhand. So, so it's, it's gaining super uh, much interest. And it's not only price, it's also like, oh, I found that, that one and only garment that fits me and um, nobody on the party will have the same dress. So um, it's, it's also super nice to, to look at those new business model. And if you create a new garment, then please um, yeah, get, get the data, get it validated before you add any green claim uh, to a product. 
Great, thank you, Ninke. Um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of in line of that. There's a call by Crispina in the in the Q and A um, to you, Stephen, on like really championing the the role of adopting uh, textile upcycling um, and trying to grow that sector a little bit more instead of the, um, focusing on on recycling. Um, but Stephen, I wonder if you had any input on sort of the opportunity for standardization or if that is necessary, if that should be the focus um, or, you know, what, you, what you're seeing in the space here. Yeah, I think it's, it's um, not to dive into the labeling conversation, but um, certainly if, you, you know, as I was trying to allude before, um, the post-consumer work is is I believe you know and as they said I'm drinking my own Kool Aid because that's the space that we operate. It's a lot harder work than the pre-consumer, which is like a model material that you know is maybe easier to to you don't have to sort it. You're just picking it up and putting it back into a machine. So having uh, clear guidelines to say, hey, this is a garment to garment recycling, or this is pre-consumer textiles, I think is is really going to be important to be able to uh, reward those that are willing to do that hard work. Um, but also, I think that we're also creating spaces or creating new kind of, um, so, you know, on the upcycling material, you know, we, you know, when we make product for the beyond retros of the world, how do we actually label that material? Uh, what do we label it as? So, so I think some guidance on, on, um, on, you know, the differentiation between pre and post consumer, the differentiation between an upcycled material and a, and a post consumer or a fiber to fiber material. I think all of these need to be our experience with the brands uh, for work that we've done is that, um, you know, the, it's a minefield where no one wants to be, no one wants to be caught with their, their trousers down. So there might be actually some under decorations of great work that are being done because people are afraid that they'll be called out. So, you know, I, but I, you know, I certainly welcome, I welcome transparency and real clear uh, kind of writing of what the standards are. I think that's, that's really important to do in the trade. All right. Thank you. I'm just taking note of time and there's so much I still want to cover. So perhaps come to our conferences so that we can keep the discussion going <laughs> um, and you can meet everyone in person. But I think it would be remiss to not mention um, what's happening in the EU with the legislation and it'll be our feet if we can cover that in um, just like a minute or two. But um, maybe Anna Karen, if it, with your business being based in the EU, um, sharing a bit more information on um, what is coming up on the horizon with the with the new legislation in EPR. And there's also linked to a question by Marjorie looking at how do you, what do you see as the role of governments in helping accelerate this transition? Um, It'd be great to hear from you. Um, yeah, so the extended producer responsibility, we have been following that for many, many years and waiting for it to, to happen. And we've also, from, from a group of brands in, in Sweden, we've been, you know, advocating for, a, for an EPR for many years before it was even, uh, you know, sort of set out by the EU. So we are, we are very positive. We think this is the, the way forward. Um, my worry is that... Um, we are leaning too much against the collection and sorting and then not thinking about the next step. I do worry about us just, you know, collecting and sorting garments and then not 
um, incentivizing research and development for recycling uh, quick enough and uh, scalable enough. Uh, because obviously there is a big risk of we being sort of left with a big pile of garments. So we need to figure out what, what to do with all of that. Um, uh, and firsthand is, of course, to resell. Uh, so it needs to be sorted for reselling and then recycling. Um, but I mean, we, we are very positive and we are just ready to sort of dig in uh, and waiting for the policy makers to, to sort of, uh, you know, just give us a go ahead on what to do because uh, it has to be in place by 2025. And uh, at least in Sweden, we haven't even gotten started yet. It's going to be a big work to do it. Great, thank you. Ninke, I wonder, since you're also based in Europe, whether there was anything to add from your side. And there's also a question from Tara Lukman in the in the chat on whether the regulatory environment, and this is sort of a different legislation, but um, whether it could create some some issues for brands who don't, when using recycled materials, don't have visibility over the material origin and chemical inputs. Um, so sort of two-pronged here. I addressed it in the beginning. In, in, in the, yeah. Uh, so the first uh, thing, yeah, I know about EPR in the Netherlands. It will start in the summer, and companies are already registering um, uh, to a national authority. That and it's not an authority from government, but it's owned by uh, the importers and producers in the Netherlands. So they will have a fund, and they um, are in charge. Well, together with some also um, like an association of sorters and cyclers and also with government involved, but there's a producer organization that collects all the levies. So the money um, that they collect from companies that sell on our Dutch market. And they um, have an innovation fund, for example, where they also put money in innovation instead of only uh, bringing it back to, to, to the current sorters and cyclers. But they also work with the current um, uh, ecosystem of sorters and cyclers to see what what we can do to to improve the especially the amount of um, uh, products that still end up in a normal bin and that gets incinerated or landfilled. So first to to, to also um, inform the consumer about that they can bring their their garments much more to the garment bin instead in the textile bin instead of the normal bin, and then from the textile bin a lot of garments are still sent to eastern part of Europe or to Africa and they don't know exactly where it ends up but we know now the story we've seen it all in the newspapers it ends up in big piles of cheap synthetics uh, that even are burned even to cook with it's crazy so we burn garments to cook with in Africa and it's not due to the Africans because of us producing too much garments and not knowing what to do with them so um, yeah, that's my. So, so we want more downcycling and upcycling, like a combination. And and upcycling is only one percent. So we definitely need to invest in upcycling technologies. And we see them popping up. But now we have to connect all the dots. So how do designers? What kind of requirements do they need to take in mind? Uh, thinking of upcycling or the downcycling options or the options like Stephen offers. Um, so um, I think it's it's time to do a global mapping about what what we actually need to do as companies that take that that are taking uh, um, how do you say it? The, the 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 companies who design garments and and also define a lot how it's produced because we kind of um, create codes of conduct and, and quality requirements to, and, and supply chain is kind of put into effect when we send all those requirements and they will do what 
what the big purchasers ask. So uh, yeah, I think a lot will change with this EPR, for example, in place and all the other topics. And the other question, oh, it's already five. Oh, <laughs> very, very short. Very short. You got it, Inke. <laughs> very short. Okay. Post-consumer materials still have material um, chemicals in it that could be hazardous. So when you, when you work with mechanical recycled post-consumer waste, you cannot really control the chemicals. So you can still sell garments that, that have chemical residues that are not safe for people or the planet to burn it or to whatever they do. Um, so, yeah, therefore, it's important to look at controlled uh, streams, um, but also there are innovations to wash the, the dirty chemicals out. So there are a lot of innovation there, there even so that we can do something with the post-consumer textiles, because it would be very bad just to, to burn it all. So um, I really love if people are in the call, no, no other solutions. I would love to, to hear it. Thank you very much, Ninka, Stephen, and Anna Karen, for, for a really fantastic panel. Um, really, this is let's keep the conversations going. There's a lot of people in the QA whose names I recognize and who come to our conferences as well. So I'm sure this will continue at, at our events. We have a few discounts running for both conferences, the US one in June and the EU one in April. We're almost running out of um, tickets at the EU one. So definitely grab your tickets soon if, if you want to join. But thank you to the panelists. Thank you also to my colleagues, um, Katie, Hannah, B, and Diana for setting up this webinar. And thank you to everyone for your great questions. See you at the next one. <laughs>